906 days of the shit. 906 days. Count them down. Hit the ground. 906 days of this shit. I'll be 907 tomorrow. Happy birthday, says who? Here we are. Oh, Dan, here we are. Oh, it's our birthday episode. One year. Woo! Yeah. 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 We, we sang that song because a year ago today, we sang that song, except it was at that time technically 541 days. Since the start of the election season. Yeah. And we thought that was hilarious because we thought we were kind of counting towards something that would end in eight weeks. We totally thought that. We we yeah. believed that because Dan, so a year ago, so Dan came to me and he said, we should make this thing. I was like, I don't know. He's like, no, it'll only be eight weeks. We're going to make eight episodes about this election. Yeah. We're going to. I think very specifically, it was like, I know you're super busy and I am also super busy. So this is a clearly bounded delineated project we've got eight weeks only need you know an hour of your time let's do it yep how'd that work out (sighs) welcome to says who indeed welcome to the one year anniversary of says who the podcast that isn't a podcast it's still a coping strategy a year on we didn't think we would be here we really didn't we really did not think we really that. didn't really did not think that we were uh, we we both listened to the first episode um to prepare for this which we haven't yeah. done i mean i haven't i don't know if you have oh before. god no yeah no i have not gone back to listen no, because it's like a, ripping off a Band-Aid, yeah. you know, and we both Whoa, went back yeah. and it was a very, uh, it was a very unusual experience. It was very, um, uh, it was like uh, he, literally talking, uh, hearing a different version of yourself that lived in a different reality who had no idea, you know, that they didn't know what, that Maureen and that Dan, they didn't know what was coming. They didn't know. No. They were like, oh, well, when no. all this is over, obviously, we're going through the worst of, of this now. Yeah. Yeah, well. like, <laughs> boy, this is hard, but it'll be done soon. <laughs> yeah, well, this morning's crouching in a closet, guzzling some water from a can because the water wars are about to start. I feel like we're we're podcasting from the post-apocalyptic bunker that we live in, sort of. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we just didn't. We just didn't know what was coming. I mean, we all, yeah. we all, in all, we do kind of a we we touch on it as a potential reality. We're like, well, what if? But sure. everyone's like, well, yeah, but if it all blows up, which it won't. But what if it all blows up? Which it won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just over and over again, kind of touching on it, and then backing off, and backing off. 
Yeah. Touch you- on it, back off. Touch on it, back off. It's very, it's very, very strange to go back to. And um, we, we for this episode, we've brought back the same guest we had a year ago, which was Anna Marie Cox. And um, we'll be talking to her about uh, how she spent her year. <laughs> how you spent your summer vacation. Yeah. Before that, though, Maureen, and before, like, I feel like we, I feel like, you I feel like this is less of a celebration than it should be. Not because mm-hmm. we made it a year. Right. But because of what happened last night. I think someone got a present. Uh you know, there are just times where you're like, I need something and I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And then it comes and you realize that was exactly what I needed. Yep. Our old friend Maureen, our old friend Ted Cruz. Yep. Reinserted himself into the narrative. Oh, that's the word. Oh, this is the thing about, about the words now. None of the words make sense. Are, oh, none of the words are okay now. They're all terrible. Thanks to the fact that Ted Cruz last night, late last night, so kind of half of America was asleep. I was the asleep other half, again. Yeah. I I happened to almost be asleep. I had been reading uh, a book on my phone and... Uh, just had this little glimmer of like, I should just check Twitter before I go to this. What is going on? <laughs> yeah, my uh, first wind of this this morning is when I looked at my phone because I didn't look for a little bit. And I looked and Dan was like, why aren't you awake? Why aren't you awake? How are you sleeping? Why aren't you awake? I was like, what has happened? Like when, when uh, Dan gets like that, you know that it's a very special kind of something. Uh, um, And then I tried to pieced together the events by going backwards through timelines, which was very confusing. But um, can you just talk through the, just in a, in a sentence or two, what seems to have transpired, how it happened? What, what? Ted Cruz, awful human being, lover of chunky soup, absolutely despicable person when it comes to the politics of women or of uh, LGBT people and any number of other things. Faved porn last night, Maureen. Just faves hearted the hell out of that thing. I, I didn't know that there were entire porn videos on Twitter. Did we all just I find this either. out? Yeah, did, did we all just I, discover I, this? I did not know. It seems redundant. Like, the entire internet is flooded with porn. Why do you need to get your porn on Twitter? Certainly was a question in my head. Well, now we're um, getting it from Ted Cruz, so... Yeah. Thanks, but Ted. But, like, you know, certainly... A, like, late last year, whenever it was that Twitter began to kind of broadcast when you faved things, it was like, this is a terrible feature and idea. And if I wanted people to know that I was liking something, I will retweet it, right? But now, best design decision they've ever made. Yeah, you're, you're in Because how now. would anyone know except that Ted Cruz's porn landed in everyone else's feed, too? And, it uh, was wonderful. And how long was it there? Uh, that part is actually a little bit unclear. I have heard about 30 minutes, but because of the way that Twitter 
is kind of semi non-distributed or semi distributed in terms of the way it sends stuff out. Like it was on the the Twitter client that I have on my phone. It existed on there for a good two hours at least. Um, I went to bed with it still faved in his in his on my phone. When I woke up, the fave had somehow refreshed. But um, it existed. It was out. It was not a momentary. Oh shit! And somebody caught a screen grab. It was like. You, you videos autoplay on Twitter, Maureen. So it wasn't like you couldn't watch it once it started. Do you do you think he did? It was a just a thumb. Because I've done that too, like where I've accidentally favorited or you know un oh, sure. unsubscribed. You think it was just like a thumb? Oh, like I don't thumb fave, or was he? Safe? I don't. I don't want to think about his uh, hands. I don't want to think about it. But this I is have to. this is the one thing. Because I thought about this a lot last night. I bet you did. I did. I, I have the a thing. I, the crazy wall was up last night. Just oh, big time. <laughs> if you had asked me, and I'm going to apologize in advance for using a, a bit of body language here. Um, if you had asked me ahead of last night, what kind of porn is Ted Cruz into? I would have given you three things. Dead things, mm. tentacles. Mm -hmm. Third, crouching behind a pole watching other people have sex. And it turns out that's exactly the kind of porn he's into. Ooh. Like, it makes sense. Like, that's the thing. That's where I get to the point where I'm like, this wasn't an accidental, like, finger slip or a staffer or whatever because it is just so on point. Right. It is so on point. Can you break that? I know what you mean, but I'd like, I'd like to interview you for this, Dan. Um, can you break that down for me a little bit? Sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, the video opens with a tight shot on a door, mm -hmm. which opens. And this is actually one of my favorite. I've watched this a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite parts of this is that it doesn't just kind of wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, into action right it starts on a door the door opens uh the there is a woman talking on a phone who comes through now i will give a caveat uh, i was literally doing this while i had both a baby and my wife asleep in the room with me so i've never heard the sound on this video so i can't tell you what the sound was but i do know that she says something like i'm gonna call you back onto into the phone and not, meanwhile we are just seeing a person uh, on a telephone in a in a room. And then uh, she kind of positions herself behind a rather large pole in a house and then kind of peeks behind the post. And you see somewhat in the distance and somewhat out of focus, uh, you see two completely naked uh, people enjoying themselves. Um Although, as one very astute person did point out uh, in the best breakdown of the whole video that I read, uh, the woman is wearing fuzzy socks, but otherwise completely naked. Um, and uh, the video, which lasts like two and a half minutes, is focused almost entirely on the original woman that we saw come into the house, hiding behind the pole, uh, uh, Every now and then peeking around the corner and then kind of I, I will allow your imagination to take it on from there. This and you you associate the pole, the looking with Ted Cruz's worldview. 
uh, his approach to things. Um, it just feels like if he if he was going to watch porn, he would want to watch someone else watching in an illicit. Like it feels just so perfectly him. Creepy, crouching, a skulk, a skulker. Yes, very much mm-hmm. a skulker. Mm-hmm. I've run into them on the subway. He would absolutely be a subway mm-hmm. skulker. Mm-hmm. So, um, what do you think the reaction was? Uh, how do you think they found out? You know, how do you think that that played out? <laughs> uh, it's got to be one of those people draw straws to figure out who's calling Ted. Mm-hmm. Do you think he was asleep? It was very late. I, yeah, he I may mean, have been if, if he was in D.C., it was it was well into you know one, two in the morning. And uh, if he was back in Texas, still very late. He seems like he would keep. Well, I, I mean, we we know approximately when he was up. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> he was probably real tired after, though. Yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of where. So he falls asleep. Yep. And he. Potentially thumb favorites this um, video. So he's searching Twitter for porn videos. Is that what's happening? Apparently. Uh, I believe that they have since said it was an inadvertent thing done by a staffer. Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which, as uh, you have been on Twitter for a long time. I have. I have been on Twitter for a long time. I, as you said, I did not know that there was porn on Twitter. Maybe that's like, maybe I am very Pollyanna-ish. Of course, if there is a thing, there is probably the porn on that thing, right? But like, someone was searching for porn on Twitter, right? While logged in as Ted Cruz. I mean, okay, there are a couple scenarios here. I imagine that his state, that his staff, potentially hates him enough to do this. I think that that's a fair assumption. Yeah. Um, I still think it was it was him for sure, but I'm just saying that I believe his staff hates him enough that it's it's not it can't be removed entirely. But um, I mean, it is well established that basically nobody likes Ted Cruz. Who is looking on Twitter for porn videos? I have a nightmare scenario that I'm going to enter my Google searches into tweets because that has almost happened to me twice, and I have. Had people, in fact, I've seen people just tweet the words Maureen Johnson because I know they were looking for something in a search bar and somehow they accidentally tweeted that. I've seen that happen. So, like, there are all kinds of nightmare scenarios of, like, dumb stuff you might tweet or, like, I almost, you know, there's there's lots of go wrong scenarios. Oh, sure. You have to enter a real specific headspace where you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hook up my official public profile. I am a senator. Here, okay. Uh, it's going to be you. You are a senator, Dan. You are Senator Ted Cruz, and you have an official Twitter profile, and you have decided, for reasons entirely beknownst to you, that instead of using the many, many resources of the internet, where you could be looking at literally anything, anywhere, yeah. on a safe browser, on another computer that isn't your official yep. account on your official yep. fucking phone. Yeah, correct. no, you, Ted Cruz, have chosen to yep. search for porn on Twitter while connected to your official account. And then, I do you think he was just drunk? Just drunk? I mean, was it drunk just... Drunk on chunky soup. Oh, boy. I mean, enough of Sirloin Burger, and I guess anything can happen. Yep. But they do look like little tiny hamburgers. But um, 
Do we think drunk? Do we think just drunk? Late DC dinner. Do, do too we much know? Wine? Does he have a drinking thing? Does he drink? He I seems so know. pious to drink. He's not pious. It also seems very human. Yeah, that does seem too human. Like I could see him just getting hopped up on a lot of like beefaroni or whatever, mm-hmm. and then just going. Okay, so he's he's in his senate. He's in his apartment in New York. He is he's gone through. Okay, here's we're gonna paint a little picture for you. Ted Cruz is yeah. in his Senate apartment. He's wearing a red, like a reddish rose-colored silky robe. It's like a quilted silky robe. It's open, Dan. It's open completely. Okay. Yep. Fox News is on in the background. Okay? You see it? Yep. And I, I, I'm, I don't want to be there, but sure. I'm there. The sound system is on, Dan. He's got his speakers on. He's playing, I think, probably the Eagles. That's what I'm sort of... Sounds That sounds right. He's playing Hotel California, maybe on repeat. And um, he is... You see, he's had three cans of beefaroni. One, he microwaved in a bowl, but the other two, Dan, they were right out of the can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're only bowling it for one of those three. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had to drink probably, I'm guessing... Um, Couple Gatorades, you know. Yep. You know what I'm saying. He's got some Gatorades. He's looking around the room and he's feeling he's feeling good about himself. He's feeling good about what he's done. He's feeling good about his position in life. He's feeling good about how things are going in general and just being Ted Cruz. And he's like, you know what? I know it's wrong, but I've got my phone in my hand and I'm just just gonna do this. And he lays down on the bed, Dan. And the bed is covered with, um, it's got pictures of, I don't know why this is happening, but it's pictures of Tucker Carlson. It's like signed headshots of Tucker Carlson all over the bed. And he lays down, Dan, and he's got the phone. Oh, it's all so vivid. Man, I don't smoke and I feel like I need a cigarette. The the, the eagles are just going on in the back. Welcome to the Hotel California. And he's like, tonight, it's cruise time. Hitting the cruise control. Hitting the cruise control. Oh, Dan. On that note, I think we should probably bring in our guest. Yes. Yes, we should. Oh, man. Oh, boy. (laughs) I I'm going to open, like hold some, on, uh, open the door here. smelling salts. Oh, I'm opening the door, getting a little air in here. That was disgusting. That was, got, that was got, awful. That got, that, that got chunky. Honestly, I think that the, oh. I think that the robe and eagles thing is probably accurate. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably pretty accurate. Ooh. That is Man. some real nightmare fuel. I've, I've just. Whew. I got to fan myself. I think the room probably smells of vanilla candle. And and a and a, a heavy undertone of beefaroni. Oh, a lot of, there's beefaroni. You, you can't vanilla you can't vanilla candle that scent out of the way. That kind of microwave musky smell and the yeah. and the vanilla candle. And yeah. the just smell of Fox News and Eagles. And desperation. Mm, mm, mm. Happy birthday to us. Let's talk uh, let's let's talk to Anna. Jesus Christ. Let's light this candle for this, Maureen. 
our one-year anniversary episode, we wanted to sit down with our very first guest ever one year later to talk about what got us here, where even here is anymore, and hopefully a little bit of hope for where we're going. So we are happy to be joined once again by Anna Marie Cox, who has a whole new set of jobs since the last time we spoke to her. She is now the host of the podcast with friends like these, uh, which is on the Crooked Media Network and is fantastic. She is a contributor to the New York Times Magazine, which is a small magazine out of New York. And she is also a frequent commentator on your television sets. Let's go talk to Anna Marie Cox and get our minds out of the gutter. Let's see if she has any beefaroni. This is the one year anniversary to the day of uh, the first episode of Says Who. So uh, that was released eight weeks before Election Day. And um, listening back on the interview that we did a year later, it is so striking how little regard we all gave the possibility of Trump winning, you know, like we kind of joked about it a couple of times and we talked about a lot about kind of how awful he was making everyone's present, you know, but baked into all of that was the idea that it would stop, but, but it never did stop. And like, was there a moment that you realized like, Oh shit, this car is careening off a cliff and I can't turn it or, you know, or was that election night for you too? It was election night. I'm, I, I would like to say that I could have, foreseen it I, I would like to claim some uh ability to read the tea leaves that other pundits didn't have but it i mean let's face it everyone including trump was surprised you know and it there are like reasons it shouldn't have happened um but yeah election night well i would i on election night i was in the green room of the daily show with um uh douglas brinkley that the the historian and i remember just asking him like what do we have to look at in the past <laughs> like like almost shaking him asking what have we gone through that says that we'll get through this can you tell me can you give me an example and uh, um it's funny cuz the example he came up with was a uh, carter which i thought was like a strange he, and he, he the reason he came up with carter is that it was someone that people didn't think had any experience and thought would be um, inept. And I guess he was trying to be hopeful because right now, like I would, you know, trade a thousand of my own pieces of, I don't know, like bits of my heart um, to, to, to get Carter, obviously. Um, if only it was ineptitude, right? If only it was ineptitude if that was the only thing we were dealing with here. I mean, yeah. Did you did you go on air that night? I did. I did. Um, and I did not actually cry. Um, and, you know, I mean, I... It, I, did, I did get a little tiny, like Trevor Noah was like, so what do you think? And at this point, it was clear, right? And um, I said, as far as I can remember, I said, you know, I'm sad for my country. You know, uh, it's a much more racist and sexist place than I thought it was. 
And then I said something which I still think is true, which is that that just means I, w- I was not only wrong about you know, Hillary winning, but that being wrong about how sexist and racist we are, we would still be the sexist and racist if she had won, right? Yeah. Like that's the thing that we have to get out of this, is that at the very least it's revealed to us something that was already true, but that we may have been able to ignore for another four or eight years. And now it's in our face and we can't ignore it. In the interview that, that we did, um, it was actually one of the kind of few moments that we entertained the notion of a of a Trump victory. And this is actually a quote from you. I believe our <laughs> system of government can stand up to a lot, but I don't know what will happen if we elect a demagogue who sows violence. Nailed it. Wow. Wow. Am I good? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I nailed it. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have much to add to my 2016 self analysis. I think that that's mostly come come to to be what is, which is to say, I think our systems and our institutions have mostly held up uh, in pinning him in from doing really horrific stuff, although we don't really know. He hasn't really tested the very edges of the boundaries. Um, We may have a constitutional crisis yet when it comes to the judiciary. Uh, But yeah, he's a demagogue who sows violence, and we've seen it. Um, We have seen violence in our streets. It was one thing when we all kind of saw this as being a limited time offer, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, the election was going to be the end. Like when we started this podcast, we were just eight weeks away and it's instead it's, it's, it's transformed into something that is, has far less of a clear end point. And yet it wasn't like we all got to go take a nap in between, you know, like I'm just curious how sort of what now feels almost like a never ending struggle. Um, how it's kind of changed you? Um, isn't it interesting that it has probably changed so many of us? Uh, I think in some ways it's just awakened us because the ways that in which it's changed me is, is that it's alerted me to things that haven't changed. It's made me hyper aware of my own privilege in a way that I thought I was pretty, pretty woke you know, like I'm a good liberal, like I do all the good liberal things. But these days, like even just when someone asks, how are you? Like my kind of jokey answer these days is I'm okay in Trump adjusted terms. (laughs) And it's a joke, but it's also true. And it's also to say, whenever I think about how am I today? Well, I'm better off than a person of color. I'm better off than a trans person. You know, I'm better off than someone who might lose their health care. Um, you know, I'm better off than a woman that needs to get an abortion, you know, and can't afford it or can't, can't afford the time to drive someplace to get it. Um, I'm just hyper aware of like all the things that I have for now and that other people may not. I'm actually, a friend of mine told me this story. <laughs> like she ran into a friend of hers. She went to a really integrated high school here in Minneapolis and she ran into a friend of hers who happens to be black and they were catching up and they grew up, they were in the same class as Philando Castile. Oh, wow. And 
they were catching up and they both had kids and, you know, we're going to make a play date and it was all wonderful. And, um, then they gave each other a hug goodbye. And, uh, she said, I hope, you know, take care. I hope I'll see you soon. And he said to her, they're killing us. What do you even, I mean, should she, I, with her, like, what do you even say to that? It's true, you know, and Jeff Sessions has empowered, it was happening before, right? Like it would have happened, this would have been a problem even if Hillary was elected, right? Like let's not, but Trump has now empowered a person who wants to double down on that bullshit, right? And that's something too that I feel like we can't, we shouldn't, shouldn't let go of, which is that the circus of Trump is in some ways all just a distraction. But I do think one of the major things that most, the, one of the most serious breaches of our you know, democracy and this most serious threat to who we are as a country is actually Jeff Sessions. Like he's going to be, when, when the history is written about this time, I think he's going to be one of the true villains. I really do. Yeah, there was that brief moment where it looked like the Trump drama was going to kind of throw him out. Yeah. But boy, that didn't happen. No, no. And he's and he'll and he'll just eat it. You know that, right? Like he will just eat oh, whatever yeah. Trump gives him because he wants to make poor and brown and black people suffer. <laughs> like as long as it's like it's like he will eat whatever shit you know, Trump dishes out because what he loves doing is suppressing people's rights. <laughs> it's his dream job. So, you know, all these guys I mean, with their weird fetishes, Paul Ryan and his fetish for. Yep. Same, which is the same thing, right? Like Paul Ryan will just eat it too. Cause he wants, he's a granny starver. Like it makes him hard to like have <laughs> kick poor people off of welfare. And so he'll just do whatever is necessary. It's really, it's, I mean, again, and actually I'll say this is a clarifying moment for us as Americans, right? Like these people were the way they are before Trump was elected. And now we know, now we know these things about them in a much more clear way. Yeah. It has brought clarity. <laughs> so how do we get rid of him? Do you know? Will you tell us? Oh, if you buy my book for just um, $29.99, that's going to be like a new like direct mail offer. Like it's going to be sort of like, you know, for liberals, the same as like buying gold or seeds for conservative. Like I have the way to defeat Trump. Um, That one, 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 (laughs) that one weird trick to get Trump out of office. Um, The the marshal of the Supreme Court. (laughs) That's right. We're already seeing that play out. That's right. You're right. That is exactly like um, Louise Minch is the one weird trick that will lead to Trump um, being impeached. I I don't know. I mean, I've read all the same analysis you guys probably have. Uh, It, I think, mostly realistically depends on whether or not we get a Democratic majority in Congress in 2018. I don't know if anything will happen before then. Um, He's definitely done stuff that's impeachable. Like, there's no question about that. And it doesn't have to do with Russia. I mean, the Emoluments Clause stuff probably alone. Um, And I do think that this obstruction of justice charge is going to look pretty solid. 
Um, but I will tell you, for the reasons that we just discussed, I think that even if Mueller does come up with obstruction of justice charges, there are going to be Republicans that will say that that doesn't mean he needs to be impeached. I really, I mean, I just can already tell you. And they'll, they'll make reasons or, or they'll, you know, be able to come up with reasons to write off Mueller's, you know, entire investigation. So do they sit on um, that until after the midterm election? Like the whole Mueller investigation, do they just sit there with a big pile of stuff and wait? I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not privy to the like, th- what the mechanism. Please tell are, us. You know? I figured you knew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wish I knew. I mean, I mean, he is known as being incredibly deliberative. Um, he might be he might sit on it, not necessarily to get uh, to a republic or a democratic congress but just to make sure it's fucking airtight you know um and there's there's also imagine how much stuff there is like if he has we know he has access to trump's taxes right like that's got to be just you know i don't want to use the words gold mine because it's a shit mine it's like (laughs) it's like just an endless reservoir of shit to dig through um, and almost all of it, I'm sure, is usable in some vague way. Um, but it, it, this is also, a, you know, I don't know if this is Trump or it was true before Trump, but the degree to which we see otherwise normal-seeming conservatives and Republicans um, able to come up with excuses for Trump is mind-boggling. It's surreal. It's... Yeah. Again, I, I I guess this is who they were before too. I guess I I would never have thought it. I mean, I mean, with some of them maybe, but um, I don't know. I don't know how we get rid of him. And of course, yeah. The, then there's the President Pence problem. Like in a way, this also we're shown like what a genius idea it was to choose Pence, right? Like I don't know if they were thinking ahead or not, but it is. There are some people that make the argument, you know, Pence would be worse. Um, I don't know if I believe that, but he would be really bad. He'd be very, very bad. <laughs> there, there would be a level of predictability, at least. I do think it'd be easier to organize against him in a weird way, right? Like because you can just say we don't want X. We can we we will prevent X from happening. But like part of the problem with the travel ban, right, was that the g- weird evil genius of the travel ban was that it's nuts, and it's hard to protest things that are just like not sane. Like, how do you fight things that come up, come up like that? And DACA, DACA too, has turned out to be this weird evil genius thing, right? Like where he, since he said he might revisit it, there's no, apparently like there's no energy in Congress to do anything about it themselves because he said he'll do something if they don't do something. And Congress, given the choice, will not do things. (laughs) So all these DACA recipients will probably be fucked no matter what, because of this weird way that he doesn't, that he refuses to govern. Yeah, if you spend, if you have, you've ever lived with or had a a relative who is deeply unstable, you know this feeling of, well, you can't plan for anything because who even knows what tomorrow will bring or what he'll see. And, you know, but it seems like Trump is less, is more likely to just kill us by accident, um, by bumping into the wrong object or... <laughs> oh, this button? Yeah. What does this button do? Like, that's seriously, like, that's the kind of thing that I can see him doing. And that's what people, from what I know, I, I have talked to some national security people about this particular aspect of Trump's, you know, uh, administration. They are far more worried 
about things that he will do on accident or off the cuff than he is by than they are by any particular you know doctrine because he doesn't have one right um and that's like the, the the excuse that i hear from people for why all of his generals are staying there you know like kelly will not resign because he sees it as he's throwing himself you know on the hand grenade now my argument to that is that if you think it's that he's that crazy, you should probably testify before Congress <laughs> yeah. that he's that crazy rather than simply try to keep him from blowing us all up. Um, but, you know, I, I guess it is an argument. <laughs> it is. You could you could go that way. I don't know. Except that I guess it would take time to get in front of Congress where he is has a toddler on his head. Don't touch that. Don't stop. Don't put don't put it in your mouth. Don't put yeah, it in your mouth. Right. Don't put it in your I can't. Give me a second. Don't put it in your mouth. Don't, don't take the fucking thing out of your mouth. <laughs> is how I sort of imagine how his day yeah, goes. Yeah, and it's a toddler who won't take a time out either. You know, although you yeah. can put him in front of the TV. You can just like Yeah, he's got that he's he's redone <laughs> that one room. So it's like the big room with the it's like the dining room with the table now has TVs all along the wall and he has his snack in there. Yeah, it's time That's an time amazing for story. Fox and friends. Time for Fox and Friends. Who wants to go watch Fox and Friends? Who wants to go watch Fox and Friends? <laughs> that's real, isn't it, though? That's real. Like, that's really what's fucking happening. Yes. Yes, it is. It's, 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 it's you know, you guys are the, you know, YA folks. I, I really do feel like you, the, it's the YA, you know, fiction and science fiction community that has the best handle on what's happening and maybe all the best to guide us because we're, we're through a looking glass into a time when the normal ways that one does punditry, like, are not that useful. Which is one reason, like, why I do the show that I do, by the way. Like, I don't want to, it's not, this is not about self-promotion, but, like... Promote, please, because your show is amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. But one of the reasons why the show that I do so with friends like these, it's, I think, it's pretty safe to say it's not a traditional, like, politics analysis punditry show. Um... It is about coalitions and how fragile they are and how messy they can be. And the point of the show is to talk to people who bring to light some kind of difference that is an issue, right? Like an issue, an issue of politics or sexuality, um, uh, things that are hard to talk about for whatever reason. And it's been a lot of... I've tried to use the show to to talk to people who aren't in D.C., who aren't in New York, you know, uh, because I know from, I mean, I don't live in D.C. I think I'm probably still mentally there, unfortunately. Um, but I know for a fact that that's not where the answers are coming from. That is not helpful. No, for the very reasons that you know, we started talking about is that no one saw this coming. None of my colleagues saw this coming. Really, they didn't. I mean, Nate Silver saw it more than more, most people because he saw it in the data. But I think even Nate didn't think it was going to actually happen. Um, or maybe he just hoped it didn't. A lot of us just hoped it wouldn't happen. But I don't think that our normal way of talking about politics and talking about, talking about each other is helpful anymore. Like, we have to change something. And the focus of my show, or the the way it came, where it comes from on the inside for me, is actually about once we start talking about those differences and having those conversations that may be uncomfortable, 
how do we change each other's minds? Can we change each other's minds? Can we change each other's beliefs? Um, should we change each other's beliefs? How important is that? Um, what are the limits on who our allies can be? You know, like we have this really fragile, you know, coalition of never Trump people and progressives. Uh, can we really work together? Is it, do we want to, is it possible? Like, is there, is there something to be had in that relationship beyond we all hate Trump? I mean, that's a good place to start, you know, but is that enough? Because we need to have some, I think we need more. I don't think just all of us hating Trump together is going to be enough to move the dial. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a, a thing that I kind of wanted to touch on before before we wrap up which is um there to wake up every day we need to have a little bit of hope and there is you know it's sometimes it's difficult to wake up um but you know what you're beginning to articulate is some level of of hope right some level that yeah. there can be coalitions or or that sort of thing and so i'm curious about kind of where you find that hope or how you kind of generate it within yourself? I can be really corny for a second. Um, Do it. You know, my husband gives me a lot of hope. I'm going to cry. <laughs> so... When we started dating, he was a Republican, not like a very conservative one, but he was a Republican. And on election night in 2012, we had like a huge argument and uh, we actually decided we we're going to stop talking about politics. And we did. Um, for the most part, every once in a while, it'd come up and usually because he recognize he does recognize that I know more than he does. <laughs> <laughs> And um, he would he would ask me some political question, and I would preface my answer by saying, "Are you asking me for my opinion, or are you asking me about this situation, or are you asking me for data?" And he would tell me if he wanted my opinion, or he wanted like just to describe the situation. And things went pretty well. I mean, his family's very conservative, and I actually would get into arguments with them. But he and I mostly avoided talking about politics and mostly avoided fights. And you know, we got engaged and got married, and he's. An amazing person, etc. And then, you know, Trump started running. And at some point I realized, oh shit, it is possible that John would support Trump. Like it's in the realm of possibility just because he considers himself a Republican and that's what's happening, right? Like at first he, he said he liked Marco Rubio. Actually, I did manage to convince him that Marco Rubio was more conservative than he realized that was victory. Um, and then I think it wasn't, it was long before the pussy tape. Um, it was, I can't remember if there was a precipitating event or not, but we mostly, you know, we hadn't even talked about it that I do remember um, we were watching TV and some, the latest outrage came up and John turned to me and he was like, I don't think I'm even a Republican anymore. Wow. And I said, Oh, he said, yeah, he was like, I, it's like, if, if this is what being a Republican means, then I'm not a Republican. And he wound up voting for Hillary Clinton actually almost against my advice because 
I told him, I was like, look, don't vote for her. I don't want to be responsible. Like, you can vote for Jill, you can vote for Jill Stein. You can vote for, you know, you can, you can vote for, um, uh, what's his face, the libertarian guy. Because I didn't want to, like, have the responsibility of, like, him fe feeling like he had to vote for her. But he said, he was like, oh, I don't want to waste my vote, which is the smart answer, right? So, and also it turns out she only barely won Minnesota. So, um, so why that continues to give me such hope though. And now he's turned, he's like completely very anti, anti-Trump. Um, and he's gotten a lot more interested in other issues around more progressive, you know, things. The reason why that gives me so much hope though, is that I never, I did not argue him into that at all. I never told him, if you support Trump, you know, this relationship's in trouble, which it would have been. Um, I never made the argument to him why he should vote for Hillary. I never really made the argument. I've never made an argument to him about, you know, um, like police violence. Like we've watched some documentaries together and everything, but I've mostly been able to trust you know, I've been able to trust that he's a decent human being and then ex someone exposed to information and policies that appeal to decent people will wind up making decent choices. Once, not too long ago, I guess it actually has been maybe, maybe, maybe now six months or, or more ago, he and I were talking about uh, police violence, and he mentioned some you know terrible story that he had seen, and his how upset how how upset it was, upsetting it was. And he asked about we're talking about body cams. I don't remember it was like some policy detail, and I said to him, you know, I just want to thank you for all the work you've done around this. That sounds really like weirdly psychobabble, but we're both in recovery, so we talk that way sometimes. <laughs> I want to thank you for like really pushing yourself and educating yourself on these issues. I think that's great. And I just really appreciate it. And he turned and he looked at me and he said, Anna, I literally never thought about it before. I never had to. And I think that was incredibly self-aware on his part. And also that's the story of most like white people, right? Yeah. And so that gives me hope. Like the exposed to information, exposed to policies that, that, that can change things, people who are good will make good choices. I think a lot of people just don't get exposed to it. I mean, actually, I come out of the corny place. Like if you look at approval ratings for Black Lives Matter, like that movement has actually pretty high approval ratings among white people. And it's because the information is out there. People see there's a problem. So as long as we can get, as long as we get through this, I think on some level there is a potential for greater change than we realize. Um, single payer healthcare is now more popular than ever before. You know, I I think in a weird way, like the backlash to this moment could be what this country needs. But we have to get through this moment first. And that just takes, you know, I think that takes um, a combination of faith. And by that, I do not necessarily mean spiritual faith, but um, perhaps 
the word that some people might like better is trust. Trust in community, trust in each other. Uh, and, not, and not giving up. That's how they win. Is if people who are of you know, good faith, people who are good, give up. That's how they win, and that's the only way they win. Because in the end, there are more of us than them. Well, you've, you've mentioned the word recovery a lot, and it's making me just think about what your first step is, which is admitting problems. <laughs> yeah. You can't get anywhere until you, you know, that's the, until you've admitted there's a problem, there's nothing else you can do. And so I guess this is us going, we seem to have a problem. Maybe it's time we all sat down and really talked about this problem that we have, and, we really, and all the problems are now in such stark relief. And uh, I guess, what's step two? Is it something good? Is it eat cookies? Well, see, actually, step two, so, so, it says, uh, I'm going to get a little bit like 12-step, you know, know-it-all on here. But step one is actually admitting your powerlessness, believe it or not. Mm, okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, and step two, but I think that's appropriate here, too, because in some ways, I think for a lot of people, what we, our illusion was that we had power and things were okay. Is that we were we that things were trucking along just fine, right? Yeah, that was like everything's great. It's all gonna it's all gonna wash out. It's gonna be fine. We can we control this. We can we can handle it. We can handle. He's it. never gonna win. It's fine. Yes, and we bottomed out basically <laughs> in the alcoholic terminology. Like Trump is our bottom. Let's hope. Like, oh you can God, let's dig- hope. <laughs> like you can you can always keep digging, as they say. Um, and so we, we've we've discovered our powerlessness over things like you know white uh, white supremacy and and sexism that we are not in fact in control of those things and they aren't things of the past they are right here with us. And um, step two uh, has to do with higher power. Um, and but that's also the good news is step two is a lot about the belief that things can be different. Um, and I do think that is where we need to put energy now is to continue to believe that things can be different. Uh, Cause that's, that again is what keeps us going through this and to also encourage conversation and imagination about what that difference is, which is another place where I think like writers and filmmakers and poets, you know, creative people all make a huge difference um, and can make a huge difference moving forward is continuing to like imagine what, not just the dystopia, right. But, the alternatives and keep those alive for us that there are things that are going to be different and they can't that, that are achievable like the good news about being through the looking glass is that you know a lot of bad shit we thought couldn't happen is now happening but now you know maybe some good shit that we thought couldn't happen is happening like maybe we will have national health care like maybe we'll nationalize higher education like i i said that once on, on msnbc like we we're talking about student aid and they turned to me like, what's your solution on it? And I was like, well, we should nationalize higher ed. And everybody's jaws just dropped. And it was like an unthinkable thing to say, <laughs> you know, like that's not a, you can't that. Oh, that's silly. And now like, you know, thank God Bernie Sanders and talking about like free higher education. Like, I do think that's a conversation we can have. We can talk, start talking about those kinds of things that were unthinkable before. Like Donald Trump has made a lot of unthinkable things thinkable in a bad way. Like let's, let's keep going. Let's talk about what was unthinkable before and now is thinkable in a good way. Well, I can say, and this is going to sound cheesy as well, but it's true. You're one of the things that gives me hope because I think you're doing God's work in Aww. your in your podcast. I'm like, she is reaching because it's all about reaching across the aisle, reaching, talking to people. I'm like, she's waiting, she's waiting in there all the time and having these conversations. 
and ha- we have to have we have to figure out how to talk to each other. And that's entirely what you're trying to do is how do we talk to each other and what do we talk to each other about? How do we have these? How do we get somewhere? And where where is it we need to get? Yeah, and it, and in case people like don't haven't actually listened to the show, we've been talking about it very generally. But there are things like yes, I do touch on ever Trump conservatives, but I think like some of the most powerful for me personally powerful interviews I've done have been. Um, with people who are supposed like I'm their ally supposedly, right? But I I still need to be educated. Like Parker um, Parker Malloy talking about being trans. Um, Ira Madison the third talking about being the black friend. Like what it's like to have that be your identity for somebody. You know, um, those things are 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 their conversations between allies, but they're still still really fucking hard. You know. Um, and oh, like uh, Alice Wong on, on on disability. That was also a really great conversation to have for me. Again, so thinking thinking of myself as an ally and as someone who you know, in recovery, technically disabled myself. <laughs> um, here, talking to her about what what she sees as ableism and like what what her priorities are as an activist. Um, like for instance, I guess because it has to do with Trump, I'll mention it. Uh, I talked when I talked to her. I was like, "Oh, you know, when Trump made fun of that disabled reporter, that must have been really. You must have thought that was really bad, right?" And she laughed at me, and she was like, "That's nothing. Like that. I that happens every day. You know, what we're concerned about <laughs> is, you know, Medicaid. Like that's what we care about in ACA." And I was like, "Oh, right." <laughs> Right. Like, okay, that's, thank you. For, you would like to live. Yeah, exactly. And it, I mean, that seems like a silly thing, but it was like, it sort of pointed out my own, again, like my own privilege about being outraged about that stuff. Like she doesn't have the time to be outraged about that. Right. Like she's, she's just trying to get through the day as it were. Um, so anyway, so if people are curious about what kinds of conversations I have, like those are them. This podcast is like, it's honestly one of the, the best things I've ever done. Like not just like, I don't necessarily mean that in terms of quality, but like just in terms of aligning my values and my work output, it feels like. When it was announced, I was like, that is right on. It's like they found, I was like, they found the exact right thing to do. <laughs> I was I psyched. It is, it is not the most popular crooked media podcast, uh, but um, well, who gives a I, fuck? I mean, like, I know. Look, I know you, I, they, can, I, they can sell parachute sheets like they should be. Everybody should be listening to you. I, do, I, do, I am. I, am, <laughs> I want those sheets now, by the way. I have to admit that after a while, I was like, maybe I do want those parachute sheets. I'm very susceptible to podcast advertising. Yeah. Well, I have to say they are really nice. I, they did give us a <laughs> promo pair and um uh, I am not lying. My husband loves them. We got the linen ones, mm. uh, which the cool thing about the linen sheets is that it's that pre-wrinkled look so that when you make the bed, like you don't have to worry about it being looking perfect. Oh. Maybe you don't, already don't worry, what? but I'm the kind of person that would worry if I could. So linen, pre-wrinkled, supposed to be wrinkled. Awesome. Promo code friends. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we got a we got a parachute sheet ad on this. You should build them. You should build Look, them. Look, we've been trying to get a sponsor for a while, and uh, we've really got our sights on Blue Apron. I feel like we've done some great commercials for them, and um, but we still haven't heard from them. So fuck them. Uh, all right. Thank you so much for thank you so much for joining us again and for putting great things out in the world. And uh, we are so happy to get to check back in. Yes, I am. I am thrilled um, to be a part of it. You guys are doing the Lord's work as well, and um, well, we all are in a sense. But 
uh, I'm especially noted note note that you guys. I think I think gold star for you. Band. I have to get. I'm getting myself more comfortable in my closet where, where I sit on my big Tupperware bin and I think about life. That was heavy. That got that was, heavier than I was, expected. Are you having flashbacks too, Dan? Just yeah. I mean, we used to have that that heavy of a conversation every week. Except that we had that conversation and we thought, okay, I think we thought we were doing penance or something like. If we just do this for eight weeks, right? We'll, yeah, it, then we're it, done. It'll stop. So we just have to yeah. take our medicine. Yeah, we can have a we can have eight tough conversations and then a big celebration. Yeah, and then we'll have a giant party and a cake, Oof. and you know that all. And and think of how it will feel on that eighth week. Like it'll suddenly be like we did it, and then it'll be over. And it didn't turn out. It's just we're still here, Dan. We're still here. We are still here. And I so vividly remember talking to Anna. I so vivid because it was our first conversation and I was kind of nervous. Like, and I was, I loved Anna's work and I was like, oh, it's Anna. And now I'm like, hey, Anna, how's it been? I'm slurping. I'm here. Mm. I'm drinking, I'm drinking La Croix because uh, it was on sale. But um, I'm drinking it like, like, because I sit in a closet. But um, I'm drinking, I'm sitting on a box and it's a year later and here we are. But I do feel hopeful. I feel like that was cathartic. Yeah. Like some that demons. Was like like something got, you know, was like I think we still kind of go through the the rage and the and the kind of like hysteria hilarity of it on, but now she was just like, "No, it's just fucking sometimes it's just intense." I do have to say that I I take a great deal of it's definitely not pleasure solace maybe in uh people that know a lot more than i do and that are you know engaged in this all the time kind of struggling with the same type of holy shit what does it all mean that i do i it it makes me feel a little bit less like Oh, my ship doesn't have a rudder, but no one else's does either. Yeah, and I and she decided to make something and really I'm not lying, like that podcast is I don't I don't guess I didn't think you guys thought I was lying, but I mean it's um I'm not lying to you guys. I'm not I don't sit here and tell you lies. I tell you the truth. It's a good podcast. And it's about reaching across the aisle and having these conversations. And you can tell it's based on something very deep with her. It's a deep conviction that this is a work that she has to do. Not like, I'm just going to do this because it's, um, because it'll make me popular. Like, we do this because we're, um, fuck nuts and we don't know what else to do. So we make a thing because we know we like to make things. We we thought it would make us popular. Uh, we thought it would make us popular and we thought it would get us a bunch of sponsors. Yeah. None. No friends and no sponsors. You know what? A year later. I talked to another podcaster, like one of my other favorites, 
the the history chicks and they were like, well, you were right to, you know, you're really right to want Blue Apron because they send us boxes and it's really, I'm like, oh, they're getting boxes of food. Yeah, not us. Not us, Maureen. It's okay. We don't need them. We don't want them. We don't need them. Blue Apron. We don't need it. We don't want you. I mean, we do. Use our discount code. We don't want you. Yeah, just enter it. I don't really like their recipes. I think they're futzy. You know, I had the thought, uh, my wife and I actually had the thought that, because we actually, like, uh, at least attempt to do our grocery shopping, like, once a week, which means kind of thinking about what you're going to eat every day for, you know, on one day. And that is hard. And it's weird because you eat food every week. And yet, uh, you I at least forget. Uh, almost immediately what it was I ate. And so it feels like you're kind of recreating food from scratch every single time you sit down on a Sunday. I would do a blue apron thing that was just a like, here's what you're going to eat this week and here's what you need to buy to eat it. But I don't need it in a box. I don't need that shit. I can do I can do that for you. Can you? I have, mel- I have meal planning software. What? I do. How do I not know this yet? Yeah. <laughs> it's recipe of meal planning software. Wow. Dan, I'm telling you, like, here are the things I can do for you. I can plan out all your food. I can plan out all your grocery shopping. I can do the school shopping. I can clean your computer. Like, these are all my skill set. I'm super good at grocery shopping. I love it. None of these are my skill set. Although I had I had a realization very late at night the other night. I was like, I don't know what my skill set is. <laughs> uh, Maureen. I think you have every skill set. Yeah, I don't you know. seem to be able to make anything. Yes, you should see my desk. You should see the desk that I'm currently doing this on. I think it would give you hives. Well, here, can I tell you a thing that I'm doing that I've this, this is a my coping method, but this is a positivity thing. I'm like, you know what? It's 2017. Everything seems to have gone to shit. So I'm not gonna like hold back on like the like dumb small stuff you want to do. Because I have always dreamed, Dan, yeah. of owning a hammock chair. It's like my crazy dream. All right. I have always loved chairs that move. I like swings. I like rocking chairs. I like hammock chairs. I'm obsessed with them. But I was always like, that is not for me. I cannot have a hammock chair. I live in an apartment in New York. I'll only Maybe when we get a house someday. Maybe someday. I, the other day, I just turned to my other half and I was like, I am getting a fucking hammock chair and i'm gonna drill a goddamn hole in the ceiling and i'm gonna fucking put it up there and i'm gonna sit in that goddamn chair and i was like let's do it let's look up wiki how to do it and i ordered all of the pieces and then i hired someone to come because i, I you actually need to really get that thing in there or you will fall and break your butt so i've got somebody coming to put the hook up on saturday the chair just arrived. It's sitting on the dining room table. I'm hanging this chair, Dan. Oh, man, that's exciting. I'm just doing it. It's I'm 2000- excited for you and your chair. Yeah. Like, it's 2000. Just do it. Like, if they're, I'm going to do the Shia LaBeouf, just do it. Just do it. Like, just do it. Do you want to sit it's in true. the bathtub and eat a bunch of Doritos and, like, just fucking do it? Man, just I do. Come. Yeah, do it. My favorite Doritos fact, and and uh, it is a wonderful thing, is that ranch flavor does not exist anywhere else. And so Doritos other places are called, Cool Ranch Doritos are called Cool American. <laughs> D- Dan, 
are we where are we going to be in a year? Are we going to be in our closet still? Closet, basement. Are we going to po- still chatting? Because this this says who ends when he when it's over. It's true. Think about it, in a year from now, we will be eight weeks from the 2018 uh, House and Senate elections. Oh, Jesus, Dan. Why are you saying <laughs> this? We will be right in the thick Dude, of it why, again, Maureen. Why are you saying this? It just occurred. It just really realized, like, in a year, we will once again be eight weeks out from... From our, our only hope? Yeah. From we will be eight weeks out from Princess Leia sticking some plans in R2. My God, I can't believe you're saying this. It's all going to just be as an ongoing series of one year anniversaries. One year anniversary of the inauguration, one year anniversary of that first time he went golfing. Yeah. Is he did he golf this weekend? Uh, he went to he went to Camp David this weekend. He okay. seems to so, so there are a couple of things that seem to have happened with the hurricanes. It, a it seems that somebody finally was like, "Why don't you go to the retreat that presidents are supposed to go to instead of to your golf club? That way, it feels a little less like you're fucking going on vacation while there are cities that are drowning." Like, and he, so, somehow he heard that because he went to Camp David both when the hurricane hit Houston and now when Irma hit Florida. Um, and he also seems to have realized and had explained to him that he should just kind of shut the fuck up for like during a hurricane. Yeah, he did seem to kind of. He just, you know, flo- float to the background, have a vaguely competent FEMA director, which seems to be the case, certainly much more the case than Katrina. And uh, and everyone will say you did fine. Well, join us next week on Says Who, which it'll be uh, a year and um, a week. It will. We will be getting back on our every other week schedule starting next week. So this is next week will be the last of three weeks in a row, and then we'll be back on every other week. Just as a for those of you that need to update your planners. Yeah, yeah. In case you um, you're basing your schedules yeah. around this, which we fully expect. That which you are probably not. Probably are. You might be. We don't know your life. Blue Apron, we don't know your life. How about that? I think that one's going to get him. Honestly, when I found out, like, the other podcasters talking about it was just me just, I got to stop thinking about it. Yeah, dude. Every podcaster that talks about those fucking beds in a box, they have a bed. I know. They get the bed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're all like, "Oh yeah, no, they're really nice." And the sheets, like, "Oh, the sheets are nice, and the flowers are nice, and the bu-. yeah, I bet they are. I yeah. bet they are. I bet. I bet." Ah, uh, Maureen, for a year, we have had amazing theme music provided by Ted Leo, who is heading out on tour. He may well be on tour. As you listen to this, go to tedleo.com/tour, and you can find out if he's playing near you. He should be. And it probably is. And uh, our our logo is brought to you by Darth. Darth. All this time, Darth Darth came out of hibernation. I know. I was just about to say. Remember, Darth left Twitter after the election and then came back, and it's 
a, a rare daily point of light on uh, the sadness machine that I carry in my pocket. We love you, Darth. We love your French fries. And, um, man, this has made us very sentimental, Dan. I know. You know who else we love? We love all the people that have been in contact with us over the last year. The folks that have dropped us tweets to at says who podcast, uh, who have sent us emails at hey, H-E-Y at says who podcast dot com. And people that have visited us on Pinterest or Facebook at slash says who podcast. That I think to me has been one of the most remarkable things is like. We are in a closet and a basement and we speak into microphones and then those things go out into the world. And, you know, we don't even look at our each other. We're, you know, just kind of hearing each other in our in our ears. And yet, you know, when we hear from people and especially, you know, we've gotten some pretty, pretty emotional letters over the over the last year. And, uh, you know, it means a lot. You know, this is. This is work, and it's amazing to know that the work is reaching people that 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 need it and want it as well. So thank you all. I almost got and, a little emotional there, Maureen. Yeah, well, it's our, it's our, it's a, it's you know, anniversaries do that. But um, you know, I did listen back to our our first episode, as we've been saying, and I heard the first introduction of Disney World, which. It came from the fact that we were described. We had to each give a, a point of something that we liked that week. And you liked the fact that Trump had purchased a six foot high portrait of himself for charity. And I was speculating on how it would be even better if the portrait was one of those expanding portraits. And I said, like they have in Disney World. And I asked if you did, you know it. And you said you did. And that's how we got off to the races on Disney World. So we have gone back and figured out how that started. And we'll be there soon enough, Dan. I believe it. I'm going to be there for Thanksgiving. Yeah, you're, you're, that's that's pretty lucky. But I mean for our for our special visit, I it's coming. It's coming. It is. We will all be there together when uh when this all comes to an end and until then I'll be here in my basement in Chicago and I'll still be Dan Singer. I am in a closet in New York and I remain forever Maureen Johnson. And this, it says who? Happy birthday to us. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to us. us. Happy, Happy birthday to the podcast. Happy birthday says who That was beautiful. Man, that was that was a it's not going to be a dry eye in the house.